welcome to Swift London's podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Tayo Adesina, founder of Trash Gang. Trash Gang is a social enterprise that hosts engaging and inspiring workshops for young people. Tackling touchy subjects like mental health and knife crime, these workshops aim to be a safe space for having honest conversations. Let's find out why we need to uplift the voices of the youth, why having a community is so important, and how the workshop discussions turn into trendy streetwear looks. I am very pleased to be interviewing today the founder of Trash Gang, Tayo Adesina. And to kick off our conversation, I'd like to get to know what is Trash Gang. So maybe you could tell me who are you and what do you do? Alright, oh, so yeah, my name is uh, Tayo. Uh, I run a social enterprise called Trash Gang. So ultimately, we are a, a social impact fashion brand where we co-create our fashion collections with the young people that we educate. So we're actually also a social mobility CIC. So we educate the young people that we work with and then we transform their peer-led conversations into streetwear clothing. What does the name Trash Gang stand for? <laughs> so the word trash in and of itself stands for transform real authentic stories into history. Um, and the whole concept behind that is we want to bring to life the real lived experiences and the stories of the young people that we work with and that we educate and that we teach. And the word gang ultimately was just about bringing a collective of people together, people who ultimately felt like their stories were being told. And ultimately that's how you end up with Trash Gang. And it just sounds very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. And now, now let's get to know you a little bit more. How would you describe what you do? Great question. I think I, I describe what I do as ultimately creating something for others first. This business exists to give young people an opportunity that they didn't have before. So most frequently, we might work with young people who are often what we call neat. So not in education, employment or training. But ultimately, we're trying to help underrepresented young people have opportunities they otherwise wouldn't have. I've been in that shoe, I've been that person, and, and ultimately what I'm trying to do is give back in the best way I know how. And what does your day-to-day -day life look like? So, I mean, it's a variety. No day looks the same, and it sounds so cliche, but it's genuinely true, right? I'm either in the office, uh, working away on my laptop, or I'm working from home. But really, what my day looks like is I'm, I'm balancing, articulating, and telling our story. And that means, you know, building partnerships with corporate partners and charities that we already work with. So like the Princess Trust or Circle Collective, the list goes on. And then some of the other school partners. So a lot of my work right now is building relationships. So whether that's through emails or Zoom calls, that's a lot of what I do. And then the exciting stuff is I get to deliver the workshop program that we've already created. So yeah, delivering that, working with 15 to 20 young people is, yeah, is what I love doing the most. And to establish this enterprise, you did a complete career switch. Where did you find the courage to do that? <laughs> uh, to be honest, it's sheer passion and maybe a bit of stupidity. Before this, I was, I was doing management consulting. So I was a consultant for five plus years and I enjoyed my job. You know, it was a great job. I had great career advancements. But ultimately for me, I think I always describe it as I got the itch. I call it the itch in like year two. In year two of being a consultant, I got this itch that it wasn't bringing the best out of me. And I wanted to be pushed, I wanted to be challenged. And it wasn't that the job wasn't challenging. I think for me, I knew I had a desire to do something that ultimately was more than just helping other organizations make more money. I wanted to give back to young people. So the courage essentially came from just a burning desire to do something great for young people. And on the website, I read that you are a member of the CUSP, mm. which is a collective for creatives from yeah. what I understood. 
How does belonging to a community of creatives help you do what you do? Love that. I mean, shout out to my boy Amos. That's actually his organization. Um, and they help essentially get young people access into industries such as film, fashion and TV. He's going to love that. I remember all of that. Being a community of other creatives is, is phenomenal. I think starting or running any type of business is very lonely, ultimately. It's quite a hard journey to go through. But when you've got organizations like the cusp are putting on social mixers and master classes where you get to be in a room of 15 30 other trailblazers who are doing fantastic things yeah it goes a long way and it really helps it really helps now let's move on to the mission of the enterprise and on your website there is a quote that appears quite often and that is every generation after you is the future if you aren't investing in them what value are you adding to the mankind where does this come from Honestly, it kind of just became a mantra and a mantra for the organization and what we do. I honestly do believe that whatever I do in my lifetime, I wanted to have an impact on somebody else for the better. And that's also where this social enterprise has come from, right? Every generation after us is the future. There is always someone else who's going to follow in my footsteps or your footsteps uh, and any other listeners' footsteps. But actually what we should be aiming to do is always make the next generation's life better. And that's not necessarily easier, but definitely better. You know, the mistakes that I've made and that you've made, they shouldn't have to keep making those same mistakes. So, um, yeah, that's what we're setting out to do as an organization. Or at least try not to make it worse. Absolutely, <laughs> don't make it worse. That's why, if you've got one job, don't make it worse. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and why did you choose the youth as the focus audience of this enterprise? Yeah, I love that. I think even pre-pandemic, uh, I'm very aware that social is uh, isolation has a real impact on young people's mental health. And, and you know, this is part of my why and why I exist. I lost my closest friend to 10 years to suicide. And you know, as much as I knew everything about him, or at least as much as I thought I did, there was still a part of his life that he didn't share with me. And ultimately it meant that I lost my best friend. He, you know, he's the guy that taught me how to ski. He's the guy who taught me how to play the drums. He's the guy who taught me how to ride my first motorbike. We did everything together. So I knew, having lived through that experience myself, that social isolation is a real issue. And actually not having a safe space and a creative outlet for young people has a real detrimental effects to their, to their mental health. And you now couple that with, you know, surviving or, or living through COVID, where everybody was isolated. Yeah, now more than ever, we need these kind of creative spaces that we're, we're building for young people to genuinely thrive in. This is uh, connected to my next question, which is how does the decline of face-to-face -face interactions impact the youth? It's a real big question. I think there's quite a few ways. I think some of the main ones is, is actually the peer-to-peer -peer interaction in terms of just conversing and having conversation full stop. I think we're very heavy in our digital space and that's not a bad thing. I'm a big fan of the metaverse and all those kind of things, but... Ultimately, when we're engaging in a one-to-one -one interaction, you have this feeling when you talk to another person, you see their face smile and they light up in the same way and you kind of respond and reciprocate that kind of conversation. I think we lose that. I think, you know, the other thing that a lack of face-to-face -face interaction is, is meant for us is, sadly, for young people, it means that the way that they perceive the world can be quite isolating. So I often talk about, if we think about the digital tools we interact with, their algorithms are set up to make sure you keep seeing the same things that you like. But if you're constantly seeing the same things you like or the things that you already agree with, you lose the ability to debate, you lose the ability to hear other interactions and perspectives and, and ultimately find common ground. At the end of the day, we're all human. And I, I hate the fact that some might lose sight of that because they're constantly striving for what they already know or agree with. It's like living in your own bubble, but also trying to create a safe bubble 
but reach out to other bubbles as well. Exactly that, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, and what are the ways that trash can breaks down the barriers and encourages participants to speak their truth and also accept the truth of others? Love that, that's a fantastic question. So the main part of what we do is our six-day creative program. We often do a one-day taster program where we're ultimately showing you how to co-create a piece of streetwear clothing. We get you responding to a live brief. So we're giving you a, a real challenge and actually being able to express what you are going through, your lived experiences. And ultimately, those end designs tell their story. So, you know, one of the first workshops we ever did, young people were talking about the impacts of knife crime. And ultimately, they were talking about it's not just the person who's died, but it's also the people who are left behind mourning. And we co-collaborated a T-shirt that, that ultimately spoke to that message. So giving young people that safe space in our workshops to actually talk about what they're going through and what their lived experiences are, I think is one of the best things we can do to help that level of self-expression. And talking about actual spaces, I saw on your website that your end goal is to have a purpose-built retail store. How, what that is and how would it look like? Love it. Yeah, that's big for us. That is our vision. That's what we're trying to create. So yeah, a purpose-built retail store for us is ultimately what we call a 50-50 store. 50% of this retail space is creative workshop space where young people can come in off the streets anytime they like, get educated, get creative with us, co-create some piece of clothing. And then the other 50% of that room is all of the streetwear clothing that has already been co-created with the young people. So they get tangible lived experiences of seeing the projects, the work that they're actually being involved in right there live in the flesh. There's a real decline in community centres in the UK. We don't have these kind of spaces that young people just pull up and you know feel safe and actually learn new skills. We're trying to bring that back. And I think a purpose-built retail store is the right way to do it. Do similar stores exist already? And if not, how come? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we have small concepts like it, but none that are dedicated to it. So, you know, you look at some of the large brands, they'll do random pop-ups, they'll work with small community organizations to do a pop-up for one weekend. And then once it's gone, it doesn't really exist and it goes back to being a pure retail store. We've specifically built our model to be based on the fact that we want young people in our space. We want them learning, we want them growing, um, and we want them to tangibly see the end output of what they've been a part of. Why do you think there is the decline of community centers? Is there any specific way that they are usually regarded by the public? Are there any negative connotations? It ultimately comes down to funding. Um, we look at who owns or runs community centers. Oftentimes it's coming from grants or government funded organizations. So as the government chooses their priorities and where they want to place their, their money, Ultimately, it means those who were running these kind of community centres, they, they tend to struggle. In terms of negative connotations, I think the reality is community centres, as, as great as they have been in the past, and I've benefited from them as a kid myself, you don't get to negate the realities of crime within a, in a city like London. It still happens, but we need to create that safety net where actually that's the last thing any young person should be worrying about when they're in our safe space in a purpose-built retail store. Let's move into the section about the workshops. How do you pick the topics for your workshops? Great. So we've designed this six-day program specifically to cover, I guess, four key areas. Increasing young people's mental health, increasing their social-emotional learning, giving them space of self-expression, so something they can tangibly own. And I guess by bringing all of those things together, the subjects of the workshops remain the same. It's a program that's dedicated to actually increase those outcomes for young people and ultimately help them lead towards getting a job, which ultimately is going to close that gap. So yeah, that's how we came up with that. It's, it's basically addressing what we think are the most important factors for the young people that we engage with. And how do the workshops encourage young people to express what impact they want to have on the world? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a very uh, unique style of opening up um, our audience. I mean, you've been in one of our workshops, so I hope you've seen what we do. It was 
amazing for Thank anyone you. listening. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, I think it's the, the reality that we're genuine people, we're authentic. And actually we give a safe space for young people to be like, no, this is actually what I'm going through. Authenticity is key. And I think it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. But actually when you have someone who's run an organization, who's lived and been through it, you know you're getting something that's real. And I think that resonates with the young people who step foot into our workshops and what we do. So designing clothing is an important aspect of the workshops you run. Yeah, massive. What is the design process like? Do you teach your participants any particular techniques? Great question. So yeah, ultimately we don't need you to have a single bit of skill when you walk into our workshops. So what we've essentially created is, again, I have no fashion background by nature, but we've created a way to facilitate where young people can draw, create on digital tools that we use in the sessions and use artistic expression. So we ask questions to get them ultimately to identify the themes and what they're actually trying to express, have real conversation around that with their peers. And then we help them link imagery with actual designs that we will then help them co-create and shape into something that is tangibly and commercially viable. And currently you are running two programs, Identify You and Gig Economy. Yeah. Could you please tell me more about those? Yeah, I love that. Uh, I'll start with Gig Economy because um, that's actually one that we've been running with one of our charity partners for the last two years, Circle Collective. That's a program that you know they've asked us to work with them on in teaching young people ultimately, well, what is the gig economy? How are you impacted? And when I say gig economy, we're talking about working jobs where you're ultimately getting paid um, on a zero hour contract. And for a lot of young people, they often don't know what a zero hour contract is and they may commit to it without actually having that knowledge. So yeah, it's, it's our job as Trash Gang to help educate them, teach them what their rights and responsibilities are um, and ultimately get them understanding what their role is. And Identify You is our flagship program. That is a, a one day challenge to co-create a piece of street wear clothing with us by expressing the things that they've actually lived and been through. So that's, you know, the, the genesis of what we are and who we are and what we do as Trash Gang. And the Identify You turns into a full six day program that we run with our partners. That is very interesting because social enterprises is maybe not such a clear concept for most people out there. How popular would you say are these kinds of businesses? And is there a community that exists within this business space? Yeah, I love that. So we, we've actually officially become a social enterprise UK membership body. So there is a space for social enterprises and that's run by the CEO, Peter Holbrook, who actually met with him. He had a lovely uh, lunch with him. It, it's definitely a space that's growing because I think there's a lot of interest, uh, especially in our next generation, in wanting to see businesses be held to account to add in value to the world. And that's exactly why we wanted to be a social enterprise. The, the definition of a social enterprise varies from person to person. For some people, they see it as not-for-profit. For others, they see it as for-profit. It really does depend. The ultimate goal is your business model is designed to benefit the community that you serve. And as long as you can tangibly show how you serve that community, I would consider you a social enterprise. This sounds great, but what is the reality of running a social enterprise? Hard work, blood, sweat and tears. I mean, look, it's, it's the same challenges, I guess, any organization has, whether you're a social enterprise or otherwise. I think, you know, the, the beauty of the challenge of a social enterprise is you're in a community or a space full of people who want to do good. And, and in that basis, it ultimately means that you're constantly building community with fellow businesses who, who genuinely want to, to develop something for the better. And how to combine the boring side of running a business with the creative side? Yeah, sadly, I'm boring. So the boring <laughs> side the boring side is actually not that boring to me. I mean, yeah, look, I, it's the advice I guess I, I always give to the young creators that I work with and, and we talk to is you have to decide quite quickly if you want your uh, your 
your creative to be a business or if you want your creative to just be a creative. I quite quickly established I wanted this to be a business so that it could scale and impact more lives, which meant I just had to accept that I have to deal with things like emails all day long and I have to deal with, you know, finances and strategy planning and advisory board meetings but I actually enjoy it. It's a part of what I am. And the creative creative side is fantastic. And obviously it brings the best out of me because that's ultimately why I left what I was doing before. I guess I just, I found a balance through trial and error. But ultimately I know the long-term vision is that this is a business that will live, breathe and exist even without me. So therefore it's my responsibility to set it up in a way that it can sustain itself long-term. How to find a balance between the boring and inspiring in life in general? Do you have any methods or techniques? Yeah, good question. Um, I genuinely am quite disciplined now. I wasn't at all prior to uh, probably starting this business. I schedule everything, sadly to say. So I have got into a habit of scheduling when I have a break, i.e. lunch break, or if I just want to sit and play FIFA, which I did before I came to this interview, I will schedule it. I will plan my time to literally sit and play FIFA because it means that my next scheduled block, it will be something productive. And that way I don't feel any guilt when I switch off whether it's during the day or after the day. So in life, generally, I've found that by time blocking and scheduling, I basically create whichever lifestyle I want. If I want to sleep and do nothing for eight hours in the daytime, absolutely fine, I've scheduled it, right? Um, and if I want to work hard for 12, I'll schedule it. But ultimately, I found a balance to just get the best of both. Let's now jump into the topic of fashion. Where did you get the idea to combine fashion with social impact? Great question. So, I mean, look, I've, I've been mocked throughout my years, uh, even when I was a consultant, that my fashion sense is always a, a little bit unusual. And I think what they really meant is I just wore suit trousers that were too tight. But ultimately, <laughs> ultimately what it meant was that I've always had an interest in fashion. And I, it, I guess for me, it was never that I, I felt like I was a fashionista or I was leading the pack, but actually I just enjoyed feeling comfortable in clothing. And I knew it was always a form of self-expression for me. So actually, naturally, it was just a perfect fit to use something that I love, that I think resonates with a lot of the young people who I want to work with and empower and help. And it just became a natural fit. Why did you choose streetwear as the focus in terms of fashion? Oh, I'm a 90s baby, man. Hip hop, <laughs> streetwear culture, baggy jeans. That was the norm. I've, I've got a picture, embarrassingly, of me when I was probably about 11, trying to copy my older brother wearing a do-rag and like a two-pack chain on. like that's what I know right that's actually my lived experience so yeah raised, being born and raised in the 90s and and yeah UK raised not obviously in the US bottom street was everything of who I am and what I do you know I think that correlates with the authenticity aspect of your enterprise to do what you know and what you love yeah 100% and in terms of the business model how often do you drop new designs yeah it's actually one of our biggest challenges right now as always to be authentic and be real we're not fast fashion i think we're intentionally slow we only want to create collections when we've ran a workshop with a young person who we educate and teach so for us trying to push a collection every month every two months is just not our priority that's not to say that we don't want to increase it because we want to increase the number of stories that we can actually tell through our streetwear clothing for our young people so at its present moment in time we're probably dropping a collection once every six months but with aims to do better because there are more workshops to run, which means there are more young people's stories and lived experiences that we need to tell. Why is it important for you to be part of slow fashion? Mm, look, sustainability is a buzzword, but actually, like I said, every generation after you is the future. And like we said, right, I want to leave something behind that makes a difference and at least doesn't make it worse. So yeah, I think slow fashion is 
the right direction to be in. And as I said, for us, it's about telling the lived experiences and the stories. So as we scale and grow, if we're telling 50 stories a week, that might change the pace of what we do and I have to accept it. But ultimately, I'm, I'm here for the young people that we serve. That was actually my next question, how looking after the future generations is a sustainable practice as well. So it's not only about the clothing yeah. that we need to like keep it nice and clean, environmentally friendly, but we also need to ensure that the environment we're living in is also suitable 100%. for the next generation. 100%. And how are the conversations and discussions you have in the workshops translated into designs? So yeah, what we, what we do is we do everything digitally. So we get our young people on iPads or laptops, whatever it is, but through asking the questions that are quite proven and quite real. Young people are able to articulate their designs verbally and also through drawings and annotations. And then we directly work with what they've given us to co-create that and turn it into a final design. So we'll never work in silo and just take an idea and, and do something with it. We'll always work with whatever the young people have actually said in that room. That's how we run our workshops. In what ways does having a tangible product after the sessions help participants evaluate everything they've learned and heard? Yeah, it's big. I, I think I can't stress this enough. The tangible evidence of actually I've had these conversations, I've sat in a room, I've done something fun and creative, but I actually also have this thing tangibly that I can wear myself and then own and say that I helped support co-create this. There's such a massive boost of confidence that comes with ownership. And I think, you know, especially for, for young people, you know, if you look at Generation Z a lot, and when I say a lot, I think it's statistically probably more than 50, 60% of young people, a lot of their money will come from allowance, right? So that sense of ownership sometimes isn't there for those who aren't able to work or not in a position to work. And I think we're helping close that gap by giving them ownership of a tangible design that they can be proud of, that they genuinely love. And I think that's massive. Let's jump into impact now. Uh, on your website, there was a blog post about Black Lives Matter, which featured a quote, we don't want to forget about this in a week. How do you make sure that the conversations you have in the workshops still keep on going afterwards? Yeah, brilliant. So we have what we call a little digital community where we actually keep in touch with all of the creators who have been in our sessions, who've been a part of what we do right now, currently on WhatsApp, but we're looking to upgrade that as a, as a community space. But what it ultimately means is we're still plugged in and having conversations with the young people that we've worked with. So you don't engage with us once, have this cool design and disappear you become part of our community, part of the Trash Gang community, and actually that means that the conversations will forever live on through our own community. Are there any ways you measure the positive impact you've had? Yeah, I mean, it sounds boring, but ultimately we take surveys. We, we capture this information, we capture this real life data from the young people we've engaged with. So the young people will always fill in um, kind of feedback forms, which will capture the, how we've measured from the start of the program, their mental health and where they're at versus where they're at the end. And then we have follow-ups uh, every three to three and six months to understand what kind of growth has happened in the time frame since they've engaged with us. So yeah, we're really passionate about actually being able to measure what we do. And we've actually got a few summer interns starting to help us really build out that model and make sure it's really tight as well. Oh, that's brilliant. What do you say to people who claim that one person cannot contribute to change? I would say to them, uh, look at how at any aspect of your life five years ago, and I can guarantee you, you probably are nothing like the way you were five years ago. And I stress that with, with everything. It, it really is the smallest of things that makes a big difference. Intensity is not the answer, especially when we're talking about the social enterprise space. It's really about being consistent and, and being a person of your word. And, and actually, it will follow through in your actions in the long term. As everyone says, Rome is not built in a day, but it's the same in this space too, right? It is the 1% that will absolutely change the rest of the world. 
I absolutely agree. And to wrap up our conversation, there was an interesting quote also on your website, which is a great resource for anyone interested. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, life lessons from the classroom we want to be in is kind of how you define the workshops. What is the message behind this statement? Ultimately, education should be fun. Education should never be boring. You should never feel like you're being forced to learn. We've created a workshop space that ultimately means you want to be in this space. You actually enjoy interacting with us and you enjoy the genuine uh, interaction and being able to, to learn. It's something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, I realize, I guess, over the years, you start to fall out of love with learning and the corporate job can do that for some people and it unfortunately did for me. But learning is a lifelong thing and we all have the privilege to enjoy learning. Um, and that's exactly what we wanted to create in our workshop spaces. So for anyone interested in learning more about themselves in fun ways, what are the ways to find what you do and how to sign up and stay in touch? Love that. Thank you. I mean, Instagram, TikTok, all of that good stuff. You can find us at trash underscore GXNG. Um, and hey, look, sign, subscribe to our email newsletter. We absolutely do stay in touch that way and make sure that you got all the up-to-date information on our next workshops and what we're running and all of our future projects. So yeah, I hope you guys do get in touch. Thank you for the conversation. It's been amazing talking to you. Pleasure. Very inspiring. So I'm encouraging everyone listening to go check out what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.